0: Hi everybody, welcome to Kindred Skulls. I'm Matt Fries. I'm here with my co-host Nick Olson. Nick, how are we doing today?
1: Good. It's a busy time of the year. I feel like everybody at work wants to get everything done before year end and I gotta like do all my Christmas shopping and I gotta do all the Christmas lights still and I gotta send out the Christmas cards and it's um, a holiday season so everything's crazy and it's also the end of the year so it's been like a whirlwind week so... (laughs) But I've uh, I'd found the time still to go through all the L22. Excited to dive in um, there, with this line. I actually thought it was one of the more interesting games to study and talk about because there were a lot of um, I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm biased towards offensive explosive production passing games, but that's what both offenses were doing and they were both doing it. Vikings, it was you know stars, the talent winning out, and with the, with the Lions, I think it was they were scheming circles around our defense. So. I'm fun to dive in. How, how have you been? How you
0: doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I uh, just got a ton of wrapping of presents done last night. Like, So I have the vast majority of that done. I still have a couple stragglers coming in. But I figured while I had a little bit of free time, I, I should probably get that done before it gets crazy here the next week or two, just with preparations and stuff like that. So no, definitely happier on my end. The holidays are here. I'm taking off all of next week. So that, that'll be fun for me. But uh, with that being said, why don't we get dive right in and I think I want to start with the defense first right because I think this is the story that most Vikings fans are taking coming out of this game is just how abysmal the defense was in this game obviously we allowed the the Lions to march up and down the field in the second half I would say in the first half it was more confined to explosive play touchdowns but those are still very bad for your defense to be giving up right so uh the first question I have down is why was the pass defense so bad? And I figure we'll both rant about this for a little bit, but go ahead, Nick. Um,
1: it was a lot of things. It was... I think the biggest thing is just the players aren't executing, which is something nobody really wants to hear because it it's not to absolve Ed Donatel and the defensive coaches mm-hmm. of their um, of their... of any blame. But here, it's not like... Um, like, Ed Donatel called one of the best defenses in the league last year in Denver. Um, and Ed Donatel has called a lot of, actually, really good defenses over the years in Denver and with Vic Fangio and, and with the 49ers before. So, And it's a lot of the same stuff that, that Fangio has been running, that <laughs> Fangio has used to you know, co- cook up some of the best defenses in the league. So, I mean, it was a lot of um, just breakdowns and miscommunications. Coverage was very soft, and they let a lot of guys get wide open. There were a lot of just... Flaring holes in zone coverage, and I think yep. one of the differences is there, there always tend to be a few holes in, in zone coverage, but the Lions were very smart. I think this was, um, honestly, it was one of the best called games by an offensive play caller I've seen in years from Ben Johnson on the Lions side, where he just he always knew where the holes were in coverage. And um, if there was a hole, um, Goff was finding a way to take advantage of it, so there was that um they also schemed guys open um they did a lot of they motioned guys to a lot of stack alignments and they sort of exploited our our banjo coverage rules where you know one guy would release inside and kind of give like a soft um you know it'd be kind of somebody would streak vertical the outside receiver it would be like a switch release where the outside receiver would receive would release inside and then go vertical and that would allow the inside slot receiver on under on the uh, underneath on the stack to release outside and then like over on a basic, basically set up natural picks, basically, um, to get guys open and get guys leveraged for the way they need to, to succeed on those routes. So, um, some, some some smart um, things they, they were doing in the passing game. Um, they got a couple explosives in the run game. Guys just lost contain. Um, the Lions got, I mean, up there weren't a lot of good runs up the middle. I can think of maybe one um, where Kyrie's Tonga, who has continued to play very well, but kind of like penetrated and that allowed um, that kind of allowed a a rushing lane up the middle but um, having Dalvin Tomlinson back made a huge difference having Harrison Phillips back so overall I think it's funny they keep taking more and more resources away from the run defense and giving more and more resources to the pass coverage and the run defense is only staying good and the pass defense keeps like shooting itself in the foot. The other thing I would say is um, you know Ben Johnson just called a very good game and a lot of really cool things with his play sequencing where um, you know on on that first drive uh on, in the third quarter when the lions got the ball they they pitched the ball three times in a row almost um and but on the third time there was a fake pitch so the, by that time you know the the vikings linebackers were rearing to bite on the pitch to you know chase I mean pitch the ball that's you know that's as that's as much of a stretch play as you get cuz you know the ball the, the linebackers really have to chase it down but they it was all setting up you know the 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 slant on the backside to the slot receiver where um the safety's capping him cuz the vikings like to run quarters coverage so um, you know, just like an easy pitch and catch touchdown, and then everybody saw, you know, how they set up Pene Sewell. Sewell. was a he was a line as sort of a wide receiver on the first snap, and he uh, motioned across the formation on the second snap. He lines up as an as an inline tight end, and then um, and then on the third play, you know, he lines up as a as a tight end again, motions across. But then by that point, nobody's paying attention to him because two plays they've run duo now with him as an eligible receiver. That's the play they set him up in the flat, and that's how he gets wide open because by that point they've been kind of lulled to sleep. So. Um, that's all to say, I think Ben Johnson called a really good game, and I think the Vikings played poorly on top of it, so, um, you know, anytime when you're, you've got 50% Duke Shelley snaps, bad things tend to happen, too. I like Duke Shelley, um, but, yeah, he's, 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 uh, uh, he's a little bit in deep water when it comes to playing all these starting snaps, too, so, especially on the outside, he's, he's been traditionally a slot corner, so I'm surprised how much... Outside boundary coverage, he's getting. Do you have anything you want to layer on top of that other than we suck and the lines are really smart?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple interesting things to go in here too, right? Like execution errors, I, I think you talked about. It's not only that the, 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 the defenders aren't in the right spots it's sometimes they're not able to execute you know more man-like coverages right you talked about Duke Shelley he lost on an in-breaking route he, he's lost on a couple of routes Cameron Dantzler obviously lost pretty bad on that big touchdown he let up there was another play where Patrick Peterson let up a big gain to DJ Chark probably an 18 yard or so gain on an out route where you know he's playing you know, mod coverage, I think to the quarters side and he just gets beat outside and that's not something you can have happen if you're Patrick Peterson. Now, Peterson's played pretty well this year, so I don't want to take that, you know, singular play as an example of him getting beat, but it, it was consistent plays like that throughout the game. And then it was also spacing issues in zone coverage. And we've been talking about this all season, right? I can go back to the first Packers game where we were really struggling to cover the things that were going in the flat and that followed through to the Eagles game, right? But now, really, and recently, I think it's been even worse stuff, which is the stuff over the middle, above the linebacker level, but behind, but in front of the safety level, right? That That's really where we're seeing uh, opposing defenses be able to attack this offense. And, you know, part of it we've talked about, Cam Bynum has been playing too deep. Part of it we kind of talked about last week, and I, I kind of theorized that the linebackers are being sucked up too much by play action. We're the worst play action defense in the NFL, uh, and we were the best play action defense in the NFL last year. Like, I don't think this is an Eric Kendricks trait. I think it's more how Eric Kendricks is being coached, right? And we're talking about the players not being able to execute successfully. I think that does kind of lie on the coaching staff just in terms of how they're teaching things and how they're they're trying to get the defensive players to communicate because it's clearly not working on this defense as we keep letting up explosive pass plays week after week after week. And that's what this defense is supposed to prevent, right? It's supposed to prevent those explosive plays. It's supposed to prevent the opponent from being able to consistently pass the ball on you. We're supposed to be dedicating as to resources and coverage. And I don't think it's... A, no, I I do think we do have some weak links in terms of personnel. I think Cam Bynum has not been playing great recently. I think Chandon Sullivan has not been playing great all year. I think Jordan Hicks in coverage in particular has not been playing great all year. But Eric Kendricks, I think, also hasn't really been playing all that well in coverage all year. And we know he's really good at coverage, right? That's something we know he should be really good at. I don't think athletically he's lost a step. I think the positions the defense has been putting in him in have been problematic for him you know we know harrison smith is a really good safety right he's a really cerebral really smart safety that doesn't like and we're still not obviously he was out for this game but we're still not succeeding with him in on defense, right? When, when he's been playing this season. So I I do think, and and Patrick Peterson obviously is an, an incredibly smart corner, right? Like with those pieces, we should be able to communicate and do a good enough job and kind of patch over the holes that we have at other places in the roster, but we still, but we just simply haven't been able to do that this season. And that's a big concern. And that goes back to coaching for me. Now I, you know, we're both people who are not in the room, right? So we can't, say how this defense is being taught, how these coverages are being taught, what the coaching points for the players are and it could be that they're just, you know, not teaching those in a way that the players are fully grasping. It could be that the the players are taking those and not actually taking the right things from those coaching points. But there, there's some sort of disconnect between what the players are doing and physically executing on the field and what theoretically should be happening in good versions of this Fangio, uh, you know, Brandon Staley, you know, the, the Fangio defense that's proliferated across the NFL that Ed Donatel was his top lieutenant for a long time, right? This is a very successful defense. The, the scheme quote-unquote, the overarching scheme, I think, is good, right? The plays he's calling are good. The structures of the coverages are good. They're just not being executed appropriately by the defense, and I think that lies on both the players and the coaching staff.
1: I think it's interesting talking about the defense and who's executing well and who seems to be coached well, because when I look at the defensive line, mm-hmm. um, particularly interior defensive line, everybody... Seems to be extremely well coached, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of, even like the backups, have very impressive seasons. I mean, I mentioned Kyrie's Tonga, um, who, 95, was just every single game I've watched since we plucked him off the Falcons' practice squad halfway through the season has been like, this dude is a really good nose guard. He looks like a, like an above-average starting caliber nose guard, the way um, he's just consistently able to lock, peak, shed, play a gap over, make plays a gap over, walk guys back in the passing game. You can say the same, that James Lynch has had a lot of really impressive reps, um, and, you know, kind of everybody, Dalvin Thompson and Harrison Phillips are setting the standard. Um, but I think pretty much everybody on the, on the interior defensive line is playing very well. And I think it's not really a coincidence that, you know, when we hired Ed Donatel, when we hired Mike Patton, we brought the first two guys we brought in were Chris Rumpf and, and Mike Smith. You know, Chris Rumpf, our Vikings interior defensive line coach, and Mike Smith, the outside pass rush. You talk about the pass rushers, we've seen a lot of development from DJ Wanham and Patrick Jones. Um, I Darius Smith leads the NFL in pressures. D- D- Daniel Hunter is tenth. They're both uh, like top 15 graded edge defenders. I know it doesn't feel like it uh, but um but they they're they're playing very well, I think, and I feel like especially the interior defensive line coaches. So I feel like um I think what you're starting to see if I can tie this to a thesis is you know Ed Donatel was the DB's coach who would be there installing a lot of the, the secondary play when he was with Vic Fangio. Now that he's been promoted to be the scheme guy on top and not necessarily in charge, he kind of had to hire his own Durante Jones. They kind of plucked off at the last second, and Greg Minuski is their inside linebackers coach. Um, guys who are just kind of—they these were the last coaches they hired, and I, I think um, you know they kind of really wanted Mike Smith with a bullet, and they they really wanted to bring him over. They really wanted to get Chris Rumpf in. They really believed in these guys as coaches, but. Um, it was um, not to necessarily dig on uh, Durante Jones or, or Greg Minuski, but I think it's pretty clear those two coaches have not done quite as good of a job, and maybe it's because they aren't quite as familiar with Mike Pettin and the rest of the team, and they don't have the same level of camaraderie. But I think we talk about what are the coaching failures that, it, you know, because it's not just Harrison's, you know, Eric Hendricks didn't just forget how to play football or mm-hmm. anything. Um, you know, it, it has to be, there at some point there has to be, you know if people don't know the scheme and aren't able to execute the scheme maybe that's on the players but it's probably more likely some sort of communication breakdown from the coaches to the players so um i feel like um maybe they would do better to find maybe a better fit you know for the safeties coach for the cornerbacks coach for the inside linebackers coach because right now that's where you're seeing a lot of the breakdowns that's where you're seeing a lot of the miscommunications and I don't think it's a coincidence that Don, uh, that was the job that Donatello used to have when he was Fangio's lieutenant, but now he's promoted out of, it and they kind of scrambled to find guys to do it. So um, I feel like when, when we talk about, like, is, is, is coaching a problem, that's where I feel like there's probably a little yeah. bit of room improvement. And I don't know if it would be another year with these guys where they have a little bit more familiarity with the Fangio system or if it's a matter of finding new guys. I definitely feel like we found something in Chris Rumpin and Mike Smith um, but for the back seven coaches, uh, I think uh, that's where that's where there's been a lot of issues too. So yeah, that goes it, to Donald not to absolve him, but you know, it's um, um, it's it's an execution problem, but you can still pin that on the coaches, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's a pretty decent theory. Obviously, with ne- neither of us being in the room, we can't know for sure in any scenario. And and you know, it's hard to call for guys' jobs and guys' heads when you're just kind of making some guesswork from the outside. So I, I I don't think that like, I I definitely don't want to call for any individual's heads. Obviously something needs to be fixed. Obviously they need to self-evaluate in the building and figure out what that problem is and try to resolve it the best way that they can, whether that's bringing somebody else in or what have you. But I, but I think that necessarily saying, you know, the and, and the fan base is going pretty wild saying fire Ed Donatel right now. I don't think that that automatically solves your issue, right? Because the first question after that happens is who do we bring in besides him? But um, a, a couple other things I wanted to hit from this game real quick. And you mentioned the performance of the defensive line. I thought the performance of the, of the defensive line was great in this game. I thought that the Vikings and this is a this is a very uh, other than that Mrs. Lincoln kind of statement but i thought the vikings outside of those two big touchdowns that they allowed in the first half actually played very solid defense in the first half um they were they were extremely effective against the run if you discount that forty-two uh, yard run on the fake play from the Lions' stats. I believe the Lions rushed twenty-nine times for ninety-something yards. That's just over three yards a carry, right? That's not a very effective run game. And, and as you mentioned, the Vikings' defense is playing a, a man down in the box consistently. You know that that's how we structure our defense. They did a very good job limiting the Lions' run game. Now on the it's passing side of things, game.
1: like they one of the best coach run games, one of the most yes. diverse run games, and one of the best offen- run blocking offensive lines. So that's. was really, especially considering quality of opponent, impressive stuff in the run defense.
0: Yeah, it, it was really impressive stuff from the run defense. And then on the pass side, I thought they consistently harassed Jared Goff in the first half. Now, that consistent harassment did not lead to any sort of pass arrest production at all because typically the coverage was so bad on the back end that the Vikings were just allowing completions left and right. Um, it was pretty frustrating to me to as I was watching the game to consistently see guys beating it. And Zayary Smith was a huge one. He had five clean wins against interior offensive linemen or interior blocking. One was against a running back where he got pressure almost immediately on Jared Goff. It's like he just sidesteps a guy. He's quick around him and he beats him. And it was against Frank Ragnow and Jonah Jackson too, who are two of the better posi- players at their positions in the league. Um, You know, so uh, in true dropbacks. From the Lions, which I, I counted as not screens. Uh, they had, I believe, 34 true dropbacks. The Vikings had a guy beat their opponent or had a free rusher on 11 of those snaps. right? So they were getting pretty immediate pressure pretty consistently through the game. And I, I think the defensive line should be commended for that. The problem was the Lions still had a successful completion on six of those 11 plays. Um, so even though, and I did it by football outsider success rate definition, but the majority of those six plays went for first downs, right? They were big plays because the coverage was so bad that Jared Goff was able to get the ball out so quickly and just release the ball or, or start his throwing motion. As soon as he hits the top of his drop. And when that's the case, you simply can't make a play as a defensive line, right? It's not that Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith have disappeared. They're winning pass rush reps. They're winning run defense reps pretty dominantly. We saw that, uh, particularly Hunter and run defense and Zedarius in pass rush, right? They're they're both winning pretty dominantly in that area, and we saw that bear out in the run game, but we didn't see it bear out in the pass game because of the lack of coverage.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's very frustrating because they're – they're wasting a very, very talented defensive line. I feel like this is one of the more talented Vikings defensive lines since mm-hmm. I've been you know writing about the Vikings. You know, Z'Darri Smith and Daniel Hunter are um you know in the kind of that elite tier of, of pass rush duos and then Dalvin Thompson and Harrison Phillips, especially with Dalvin Thomas back, it makes such a difference because he's not just uh, really good playing multiple gaps or you know a gap and a half in the in the run game, but he's also an extremely effective pass rusher. And you had you had DJ Wanum who has a lot of really effective. I mean, there are a lot of reps in there where Wanham's rushing from the outside, and he has the most impressive rush of anybody, or he's the he's the quickest to to beat his guy on the outside. So um, it's a really talented front line, and that usually is enough to. to mm-hmm. To, to put together a good defense. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't pick on them too much because, one, this was a really, really, you know, this was, to me, this was like the Sean McVay pantsing of Mike Zimmer back in 2019 or whatever that was. Like, just an extremely well-called game where they kind of knew how to set the Vikings up to, to break their own rules. Um, so, you know, one, you have to tip your cap. And, two, despite the Vikings giving up a lot of yards in the past few weeks and... Um, you know, being what, 20, 30 second in the league, dead last and yards allowed. They are 15th in EPA per play. That's actually an above average defense by EPA per play, which factors in the fact that this defense generates a lot of sacks and turnovers and interceptions. And, um, you know, it gives up a lot of yards, but it, it's kind of bend, but no break. They they tend to hanker down a little bit, hunker down a little bit in the, in the red zone. So um, you do have to factor all that into, in fact, defensive efficiency is 15th the offensive efficiency is 18th i feel like um we probably we spend a lot of time talking about like oh man this offense is incredible and if only we had you know fired at Donatel, how much better could we be <laughs> well um it, it, if you look at you know kirk cousin's efficiency metrics i feel like the defense is actually a little bit better than the offense so um uh, that's that's um maybe we shouldn't pick on them too much. but yeah, I mean, especially after you know you see Jared Goff give up this many yards, I think it is fair to ask like, what the heck is going on? and really it's it's the back seven just is not executing and doesn't seem to really know what they're doing, which is disheartening, especially this late in the season to see. So hopefully they have a chance to clean it up against what should probably be a much less challenging opponent yes. than Matt Ryan work with Colson a little bit,
0: yeah. So, I, I think that pretty much wraps it up on defense. We've gotten a, into a couple of good theories, I, I think, on why the defense is struggling so much. And it, it mostly has to do with that back seven. Why don't we flip it over to the offensive side of the ball? And I, I think the number one topic on offense uh, for everybody coming out of this game should be Justin Jefferson, right? He had another incredible football game, 11 catches for, I believe, 227 yards, should have had about 30 more yards had the ref not whistled a play dead, Um, you know, where it looks, I can see where the ref saw him step out of bounds, but that's something you should let the play run and then figure it out later, right? Like, we've got so many camera angles to tell whether or not he stepped out of bounds. If he scores a touchdown on the play, like, we're not going to worry about whether or not they get that right upon review right? They're going to be able to get that pretty clearly right. So don't blow the play dead and kill a potential touchdown. And a, I, because I believe the 227 yards was a Vikings regular season record, which is like the official single game record. But, uh, Anthony Carter had a, had more yards in a playoff game back in 1987. So he doesn't have the Vikings, you know, but playoff inclusive franchise record for single game receiving yards, which is a little bit annoying, but like he's just dusting dudes all over the field. He can't even be double covered. Like there are reps where the, where the lions really have two players bracketing him to either direction and a safety over top of him in coverage. And he just finds holes in in that area and he's able to make plays consistently. um, it, And even on plays where he doesn't get targeted, like the second or third pass play of the game, he absolutely roasts Jeff Okuda off the line, gets wide open. It was it was the incompletion to TJ Hawkins over the middle where a linebacker actually made a pretty good play. I, I don't blame Kirk for making that throw. That was the correct throw based on the read. But Justin Jefferson gets wide open immediately against press coverage. It's just absolutely crazy the level he's playing at right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Like... Jefferson, the Lions play some of the most man-heavy um, defenses. They really want to play press man coverage and across the line, and they want to like double just Justin Jefferson a roll a safety over the top. Um, Jefferson had 15 targets, 11 catches on 15 targets. Only one of them was contested. That's how open he was getting, and that's against press man. That is very hard to do. Like you, you basically have to just dust your guy 10 out of your you know 11 targets or whatever mm-hmm. to, to 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 accomplish that. So. Um, that if there's a silver lining and Justin Jefferson's back on pace, he's at 1500 yards, which is insane because we still have, you know, a quarter of the season to go. Um, he's, he's got a chance for, you know, to officially, you know, be JJ2K and hit 2000. So, um, really, really impressive game from him. And I think an even more encouraging game from Kirk Cousins, because in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, but in my opinion, this was Kirk's best game of the year. He was very aggressive downfield. He was um, declining underneath shots to push the ball down the field. Um, He was throwing, um, this was uh, the first game I I felt that, you know, Kirk Cousins' elite accuracy, that's kind of the, the characteristic that I so strongly associate with Kirk more than anything else. I feel like you really saw that in this game. There were a lot of really pinpoint throws, not just catchable, but like, Right in front of guys' faces, or leading guys, you know, with you know, and right in front of their leverage or whatever. So, um, a lot of really impressive throws. He was able to, you know, continue to push the ball. There are a lot of third down conversions, even a couple that were dropped. That probably, you know, TJ yeah. Hawkinson had either a drop and then that contested catch. You kind of mentioned um, early on where the linebacker kind of getting got into the catch point a little bit. Um, so, I thought this was a really impressive game. Uh, I thought his pocket presence was good. Um. So I thought, yeah, this was um, really encouraging stuff. This is the kind of the Kirk Cousins I was hoping to see. And if we see a little bit more of that, this is the Kirk Cousins that we get moving forward. This isn't the defense we get moving forward. We get a little bit more of the the defense that got it to rank 15th in EPA per play rather than giving up, um, you know, all the yards in the world. Uh, that's a recipe to win. You know, between Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and some tweaks on defense. So that much was encouraging, despite the fact that this was, you know, a ten point loss.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think this was Kirk's best game of the season. Um, you know, the sacks he took were pretty unavoidable in my eyes. He was making a lot of plays under duress, kind of with trash in front of him, with people, with muddy pockets, right? Where he had to move around and make the best of it. He consistently pushed the ball down the field. Like you said, I think there were even more third down conversions. Like uh, the third down conversions that we failed to convert, I really don't think were cu- Kirk Cousins fault at all um, by and large. So, you know, you have that, uh, TJ Hawkinson drop. It was like a nine yard out. Kirk makes a great throw. It's right there on the sideline. It's just kind of a concentration thing. He drops it. The contested catch, you know, I, I, I think the linebacker really just made a great play on that. Like he worked through another receiver. I think it was KJ Osborne to come and and kind of impact, uh, TJ Hawkinson, the Justin Jefferson catch, that was short, that was clearly short. I, I honestly I don't understand why Kevin O'Connell challenged that. Like to me, that was short all the way. He wasn't touched, he came back of his own of his own volition, right? So that throw I think maybe could have been a little bit better because the throw is what brought Justin Jefferson back across, but really it's a situation where you're kind of expecting to get a first down out of that play, right? If the defensive back is closer, that's a first down because he touches Jefferson right away. And by the time he touches Jefferson, Jefferson's past the first down marker. You know what I mean? So it's like, maybe if Justin Jefferson wins a little bit less on his route, then you have a first down and we're not talking about it as a point of discussion here. But I totally agree with you. I thought Kirk had his best game of the season. If we flip it over to the running game. I think the running game had its worst game of the season, right? And part of this, I think, is the resources the Lions dedicated. Playing man coverage a lot, they ended up, and, and I think there were some interesting decisions from the Vikings offense, especially early on. They and, and, you know, this is a Kevin O'Connell thing. This is a Sean McVay thing. They like to bring wide receivers into the box to you know, help block, help with those numbers, but what was happening in this case is because they were bringing the receivers into the box, and the Lions were playing so much man, it just added an extra defensive back, and it added an extra player that they needed to block to the box, and it, and it became really difficult for them to match up against all of these defenders. Like, most of the runs I saw from the Vikings, the Lions had eight defenders in the box. And if one or two blocks fail at that point, we were getting free runners at, at the running back, right? At Dalvin Cook. Um, so, you know, in, in those cases, we were condensing the formation and it was hurting us because the Lions were stuffing the box so much with man coverage defenders who then also were able to help in their run responsibilities. Um, I thought, obviously, with a couple backups on the offensive line, the run blocking in general wasn't great. You know, there, there were instances of the offensive lineman losing, and that led to negative plays and that sort of thing. And, and there just wasn't the room for explosive plays because it, when you have those eight defenders in the box, part of the hope is you can get big explosive plays because it gets so wadded up. If it gets blocked up perfectly and the running back is loose, there's nobody really to stop them. But the Vikings weren't able to block anything perfectly in this game, so they never ended up getting there.
1: Yeah, pretty disappointing, especially you know last week. I think I mentioned Vikings are the second highest run block grade team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And Then um, I think the Lions were schematically smart to kind of sell out a little bit to to slow down this run game um, because it led to basically zero production, including um, you know the 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 the, the fumbled pop, pop pass that you know the, it was sort of the wide delay that. They're trying to do, um, I don't think that's a bad call, especially considering they practiced it, but Ed Ingram just gets blown up, and yep. they allow immediate pressure in, so uh, a lot of failures on the blocking will be great to get um, Bradbury back for Schlottman, will be very, very great to get Derrissaw back for Blake Brandell, unfortunately Brandell uh, will be, he's on injured reserve now, and got banged up in the game certainly don't want Oliudo out there <laughs> because um, he, uh, he doesn't um, I feel like he's he's not like a wing tackle like you can just kind of yeah. get by with him. You kind of have to go into panic mode a little bit with Udo a little bit. So, But Daris, uh, that'll be a huge upgrade. So if there's um, a silver lining there, it's that the cavalry is on the way. But, um, yeah, this was – You you're right to say it was not – like, efficiency-wise, this was the worst run game, even if you take out the fumble um, that they lost – Fumble, luck coming back to bite them. They had two fumbles and they lost both of them. Um, but even if you take that out, you know, just averaging less than two yards per carry is not gonna not gonna get it done. So um, disappointing stuff from the run game, and you know, and from Dalvin too. You know, even if everybody gets beat up, it's on him to not fumble the ball. That's you know, especially on a goal on a low yeah. red zone goal run, take care of the ball. That's priority number one. So I, I get it's a little a little tricky when you're also thinking maybe passing the ball, um, becoming a passer, but. Um, yeah disappointing game from dalvin too so hopefully they can bounce back against the colts
0: yeah absolutely and and hopefully getting christian derisaw back will be it will be a huge help to that if we're able to do that obviously Garrett bradbury as well um i i didn't think austin slot was disastrous in this game but i think it was clearly a downgrade from what we'd gotten from bradbury previously um I do want to flip it over now to a a talker that I think people were more interested immediately after the game before they got really mad at Ed Donatel um, just for the abysmal defensive performance right in this game, uh, which was Kevin O'Connell's decision making. He made some interesting uh, decisions or, you know, I, I would say decisions that traditional football minds you know kind of like to rally against so he went for a fourth down and it was fourth and a long one early in the game that the vikings didn't end up convert they ended up running um i didn't love the play call there because i thought that play call was more of a fourth and inches kind of play call and they got inches on the play but they needed like a yard and a half and they just weren't able to get the push up front with that blocking um, the Dalvin pop pass, we kind of mentioned a little bit, like, I agree with you. I like the play call as well. It just wasn't executed. Well, um, I, I think that's a reasonable thing to do down in that area. You just need to execute and you certainly need to not fumble on the play. Like that made it into a disaster. Um, and then there were two decisions that he had to go for too. The first one is an analytically correct decision to go for two down 14. I was a little bit surprised at how early he did it, given that it was still the th- the end of the third quarter, I believe, when he did that. But that is the correct decision, and we can explain that a little bit later. I was shocked that he didn't go for two when he was down nine, when we scored that uh, final touchdown that we scored. I-, I just didn't really understand why he wouldn't do that, uh, because... I obviously like you're going to have to go for two at some point and having the knowledge of whether or not you made your two point conversion attempt is important in your later game decision-making, right? Because if you fail that two point conversion, you're going to need nine points, right? You can kick the extra point, get within eight points. You score a touchdown with zero seconds left. You have a two point conversion to tie to the game. If you make the two point conversion, all you need to do is kick an extra point with zero seconds left. Or if you miss the two-point conversion earlier on, you can, you know, you know you need two scores, right? You're guaranteed to need two scores, so you can do something like kick an early field goal and then take an onside kick and try to score a Hail Mary touchdown or something like that. So I, I didn't understand why he didn't go for two later. I agree with the decision to go for two earlier on when we were down 14. Any thoughts from you on that, Nick?
1: Yeah, I mean I agree it's the analytically sound thing to do, but then to do it on the first chance and then have the second chance and decline to do it was strange. Um you know, it's funny, like they got Kevin O'Connell got a lot of like praise from like the, 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 the analytics nerds on, on Twitter for the first decision and then I didn't see the criticism for the second one, which was probably even more egregious than the first one. So um I, I think it it's the right decision to go for it. Um you know, especially with a kicker that uh, has missed a few extra points, um, mm-hmm. some very notable ones in past games, so uh, that affects the math as well. But even if you've got a kicker who makes every single extra point guaranteed, there, these are still situations where um, you get you improve your win probability going for two because you expand your uh, your ability to make it a one score game or to win in regulation. So um, it it makes sense. But yeah, it was strange that he went away from it. I guess maybe he wasn't confident in the play call, but. Um, I don't, I don't like going by feels when the math tells you like math, math should take priority in my opinion, in your decision-making matrix over feelings. So um, that's my feelings on it.
0: I mean, you, you should have multiple two point plays going into a game, right? You should have multiple plays that you like prepared master.
1: Come on. You you think Kevin O'Connell's run out of low red zone plays? I don't think so.
0: No, no, I, I really, really do not. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that overall, covers generally the offense and defense. Uh, let's jump into tape talk. I think we're going to go for a little bit shorter tape talk this week. And, and just to cover the two big plays, the two big touchdowns that the lions had, right? So the first one was the Jamison Williams touchdown, Jamison Williams first career catch. Um, so to set it up, it's a, it's a play action play by the lions and, and they're running two main routes. One's an overstop. From the other side of the field, and then there's a post from Jamison Williams on top of that. So what that over motion does is it draws Cam Bynum forward. I, I think uh, Kevin O'Connell in his press conference said Cam Bynum got nailed down, and that that means that in that quarter's coverage when you see a player coming across on that deep over across the field, your safety to the opposite side, we've called it a poach safety in the past. That sort of thing is supposed to nail the crosser. He's supposed to go down and kind of hit it like he's a hammer hitting a nail, right? Hit that player hard in the back and try to disrupt a catch. That's what Cam Bynum tries to do. It leaves Jamison Williams wide open, nobody within yards of him. Um, I... It might be on Cam Bynum here. I, I think the consensus is probably that it is on Cam Bynum. Josh Metellus makes a really interesting decision on the play. Like like Kevin O'Connell references this as part quarters or quarters. You know, Josh Metellus bites on the run fake really hard, and then he covers a running back releasing into the flat with a linebacker Eric Kendricks on the play. So we had two players in coverage on that. I think that that is wrong. Um, I, I don't think that Josh Metellus should have been there. I don't know if Josh Metellus should have had a deep quarter where he falls off and catches Jamison Williams deep. To me, it would make more sense for Josh Metellus to be the one who takes that overstop route and Cam Bynum runs with the, the deep post, but I'm not totally sure. It could also be Patrick Peterson, who was over that overstop route and looked like he was going to fall off to the deep post to Jamison Williams, but he got kind of but when the when the over turned into a stop, he hesitated for a second and kind of drove on that, maybe thinking golf was going to throw that. So it's it's a little bit confusing to me, Nick. I, I don't know if you have anything better to parse that.
1: It's kind of funny because Kevin O'Connell told us it was quarters, so you'd think we'd be able to like figure out whose fault it is knowing yeah. the play call. But um, there's a lot of different ways you can play quarters. I'm inclined to think it's Bynum just because you know, they asked Mattelis, too, about it, and Mattelis very confidently said, like, no, I was supposed to buzz to the flat, cover the running back. That was my job. I did my job. I, don't, I can't speak to anybody else, which is, like, Mattels um, plays with that same level of confidence. Yes, like he confidently does. confidently incorrect sometimes, but I, I like the confidence. got to have that in the DP. So um, it could be Mattels. I'm not—I shouldn't do this, but I'm inclined to say Patrick Peterson was supposed to stop on, on the guy he was covered on that— um, bit route in the middle of the field rather than um, carry Jameson Williams up top just because it's it's Patrick Peterson and there are mental mistakes going on. I'm going to (laughs) it's probably not Patrick Peterson making the mental mistake. It's possible. um, I don't know. Um, um, But yeah, I'm inclined to think Bynum kind of just he opened his hips a little bit and I think he had his, his back a little bit to Jameson Williams behind him and I think he kind of just lost track that there was a post route going over the top of them. And so you know, when he saw Goff cock his arm back to throw it, he just sort of um, you know, instinctually went with the underneath route not realizing there was something going right behind him. So um that's my guess, but, you know, like I said, could be completely wrong. So I don't want to speculate too confidently
0: yeah so so i think it's one that's up for a lot of speculation but i i think that's a pretty good point like i i admit that mattella said that he was supposed to buzz to the flat if that's the case i i do think based on the rules like peterson playing you know in a quarter's coverage man outside and deep after a certain point you just have to take that guy right even if he breaks inside so it it, it very well could be bynum's fault um on the other one the dj shark touchdown we were in And correct me if I'm wrong on this, we were in cover three, right? And Dancler just kinda got beat deep. Yeah. So so yeah, that one's that one to me is more on Cameron Dancler's you know, recovery from his high ankle sprain and just his athleticism not being all the way there to be able to carry DJ Shark deep. Um, He kind of hesitates a little bit as Shark goes to the deep route, uh, you know, a little bit of a double move or a little bit of a potential to break somewhere else. And Shark just gets by him and, you know, outruns him for the touchdown. It was a pretty well-thrown ball by Goff. But at the end of the day, you know, that one you can just chalk up as a loss to to uh, Cameron Dansler one-on-one.
1: Yeah, and it was a nice throw, too. I mean, Dansler should not let himself get stacked like that, should not get beat like that. He was a little mm-hmm. slow to turn his hips upfield. Um, Got to know that, especially against a big and tall and, and very fast, um, well not, not super fast, but fast enough um, vertical threat in DJ Chark. So I mean I've been saying I've been pounding that drum that like this defense can get attacked vertically, and you know, we finally saw it happen in this game for two huge explosive vertical touchdowns. So, that's really disappointing to see from Dantzler. Obviously, you know, that was a player we were kind of hoping would take a leap forward. Um maybe he's still not completely healthy, maybe that played a played a role in it. But I mean it was it was cover nine and it was just his job, you know, cover three basically, and um safety weak rotated to cover three, and he, it was just his job. He was one on one with Shark. Just gets beat. And, you know, credit to golf. that was a really nice throw, too. That, um, mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, you can't let yourself get stacked and let yourself get, get, get beaten that cleanly. So, um, uh, because you'll pay for it with a very, very bad play result. So, that was disappointing. To see.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, I think that pretty much covers it from the Lions game. Uh, obviously, we've hit the two big ticket items, which are like... What is wrong with the Vikings defense? Like, how can we get this fixed? Who should we fire, right, to solve this problem? And then Justin Jefferson just being an absolute superstar in the NFL. So why don't we flip it over and head to our preview of the Indianapolis Colts. We play them Saturday at 1 my time, uh, noon for, for most Minnesota Vikings fans, right? And we are playing... Jeff Saturday, on Saturday, Uh you kind of have to make that pun given this game. The Jeff Saturday hire is an interesting one, and I think it's just worth discussing a little bit, right? Kind of totally out of left field for the Colts to hire him as their interim head coach. I guess he'd done some sort of consulting work with them during the season, a little bit of film watching, but it really is interesting to see them just hire uh, a guy who's a leader, right, who doesn't have kind of, and obviously he was an NFL, longtime NFL player, like a center, a very smart guy, but he does, he's not ingrained in the coaching methods that the Colts have had, right? So he has to rely on the other members of the staff to just continue doing what they were doing. And they weren't doing that very effectively, right? Up until Jeff Saturday's hiring. And, you know, it's been interesting, you know, they, they came out and played hard, their first game, they've been competitive in a couple other games. We keep having these Colts primetime games, it seems like. It was like the Broncos early in the season we were cursed with on primetime, and now it's the Colts we're cursed with watching on our TV, you know, like once a week just because it's the only football game that's on. Uh, but, you know, he he's made some questionable decisions when it comes to fourth down decision-making and two-minute drills and that sort of thing. What do you think of Jeff Saturday overall and, and just kind of the higher there, Nick?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the Colts are um, one of the more poorly run organizations. Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, well, I should say from the ownership. I feel like Ballard yes. is, a, is a good GM or whatever, but from the ownership, Ursa kind of just makes it a little bit of a mess. And um, the ever since kind of luck um, left them, they've um, or luck retired early. Um, they've kind of just been on a, a bit of a lurch, trying to find. They've um, did a great job for a while, like building up a very talented roster. But I, I, I don't, I don't really get the Jeff Saturday hire. I don't know if this is just hire somebody as like the fall guy so that you can, you know, start from a clean slate, um, and and start over with an actual real search next year, or, um, just uh, hey, you know, if you go completely out of left, like Sean McVay was kind of a completely out of left field hire. I mean, is was, was very highly, you know, high reputation, but he was also like 32 years old when they hired him, so. Um, you know, if there's something to be said for um, trying to be different rather than copying what everybody else has done. But that said, I just Jeff Saturday does not like have like the the bona fides to to be uh, a quality NFL coach. And I feel like, um, I mean, he he played in the NFL, but like in terms of actual coaching experience, I would want somebody who's actually kind of qualified for the job in in terms of has lots of NFL actual coaching experience. Or you know, if he's young, you know has play-calling experience as an offensive play-caller, defensive play-caller or something. So Saturday is not that. So kind of a perplexing decision. um, But at the same time, the Colts have sometimes shown some signs of life under Saturday that they didn't previously. So um, I don't know. I feel like they're a bit of a mess. But part of that is not just because of the coaching, Um, although it has sometimes been, you know, just with, like, game management stuff with Saturday. But, like, also just Matt Ryan, his arm is shot, and that is problematic. And the offense around him is... Not as good as we thought it might be um, coming into the year, so um, they're just, despite having, a, I think, a very high performing and very talented defense, they're just kind of in a little bit of a mess. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they match up with the Vikings in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, uh, and let's talk about that offense a little bit. Obviously, you mentioned Matt Ryan. I I don't think that Matt Ryan, it, well. Statistically, obviously Matt Ryan's playing the worst football of his career. I don't think that Matt Ryan is totally cooked, but what I do think from seeing the Colts is that offensive line is atrocious. And, and if you look at the stats, I think that backs it up pretty well. Uh the Colts run game last year was by far the best run game in terms of EPA per play. The Colts were a middle of the pack passing offense last season which is still pretty good, and their run game had a better EPA per play than their passing game. That's like unheard of outside of situations where the passing game is just absolutely atrocious, right? Like their their passing game was pretty good. It was solid. And their run game was just that much better, um, which is crazy. I think they had something like 0.63 EPA per play. The next best team was 0.2 something. So, so just a crazy good run game. This year, they rank 32nd, in EPA per play in the run game. And Jonathan Taylor has had some injuries. You know, they've shuffled through backs a little bit there. But I think that's very clearly not because Jonathan Taylor was the best running back in the NFL last year and is suddenly the worst running back in the NFL this year, right? I think that's pretty clearly because the offensive line has deteriorated to the point where it's not tenable as a unit that you can have in front of you. It's also happened to Matt Ryan. He has the highest sack rate in his career, this year and his sack rate had been going up with the Falcons over the past couple of years but he's getting sacked on 7.6% of snaps. He's fourth in the NFL in snaps ta- in sacks taken with 38 so far this season right. So so that offensive line performance in both the passing game and the rushing game is a problem. Now, we've talked about how the Vikings pass rush has been really good, even against a good offensive line in the the Detroit Lions. I'm hoping that they can feast against the Indianapolis Colts, but then being able to feast is contingent on coverage being good, right? Because Matt Ryan, I think, can still process things quickly, get the ball out, and the Colts do have some weapons on offense. I don't think the Colts' weapons are to the level that the um, Lions' weapons are, right? Michael Pittman still is a pretty good player. He's probably a fringe number one wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, Paris Campbell is very fast and kind of electric with the ball in his hands. He's been pretty healthy this year, despite dealing with injuries in his first couple seasons in the NFL or first three seasons, I think really in the NFL. And, um, Alec Pierce has kind of emerged as a big play threat there too. So it'll be interesting to see how the Vikings are able to match up against the Colts. Obviously the Vikings defense has been terrible recently, but I'm hoping that the lack of an offensive line, the lack of a potential run game because of that lack of an offensive line will lead them to just, you know, shore up the past defense a little bit. They've been beaten up by teams three weeks in a row in the past game, or four weeks in a row, really four games in a row from the Cowboys game to now. Uh, so I'm hoping that they'll be able to shore it up. Uh, I, I went a little bit long there, Nick. But any additional thoughts on the Colts' offense?
1: Yeah i I don't think it's very talented, and that's always dangerous to say because I said that
0: about the Lions too. Of course, I didn't realize how well coached the Lions are. But well well Goals to, to be fair to talented. you to be fair to you, we were talking about how the Lions' defense wasn't talented, and the Lions' defense wasn't good at all. In the game against us, so we had yeah, that going for it. us.
1: Yeah, we did. We did. did we gave some credence to their <laughs> offensive line and Connor saying, Brown and Goff when you keep them clean. But in any case, uh, with the Colts, um, you know, like Pittman, I think you're right to call him like a like a you know a one B type wide receiver. One, he's kind of like a discount. I want to say like Mike Evans, but maybe like a Drake London type, where he's he's like big, but he's still able to get open despite his size. Um, and he's you know good at the catch point, like you would expect from a bigger receiver, and he's um sneaky good after the catch. So he's like a legit weapon you have to worry about. I'm not so worried about Alec Pierce, um, Paris Campbell. I'm not. I mean, yes, he's fast, but I'm not terribly worried about him as a, he's not like an elite. You know, he's like a wide receiver three. He's a, kind of their slot guy. So um, Jonathan Taylor, obviously a really good back, like you said, banged up, and you know this year they are surprisingly dead last in the league in EPA per play on runs and they aren't very good at EPA... You know The off, the passing efficiency is bad, too. Matt Ryan leads the NFL in interceptions by a fair amount. He's second in the NFL in turnover-worthy play percentage behind only Justin Fields, and that's just because Justin Fields fumbles a lot um, because of the nature of him as a rusher, run, running quarterback, and because you know he holds onto the ball a lot, dropping back. But um, Matt Ryan throws a lot of interceptions because um, he doesn't have the arm he used to, and he never had a great arm, but he doesn't have the arm he used to. So his ball floats on him a lot. So I feel like this is a game where you could see a lot of interception production from the Vikings because, um, you know, when you're playing guys like Josh Allen, zone defense isn't going to cut it because he will rifle the ball into you know the the, the soft spots and the you know the, the zones where you think, oh well, I can cover that guy because I can get to him by the time the ball you gets there. Like you can't do that against the, you know the, the big arms. But with Matt Ryan, there's the ball; those balls float a little bit more, so you have a little bit more space to catch up to the ball. Um, so I feel like the team that's um, you know, it could be, it was once a good rush. I mean, they still have Quentin Nelson, who's having a bit of a down season a little bit. But, um, you know, they have the, the potential to be a good running team. But, you know, this is the game where the Vikings' philosophy of, of you know, play a gap down in the run game and have, you have a lot of too high coverages that allow guys to be there in position to make plays on the ball with their eyes on the quarterback. They're Like, this is sort of the, the ideal game where you would circle it and hope, you know, this is the game where guys can start to get some of that interception production and I also feel like it helps a lot um that you know playing against I mean, Matt Ryan is still just as smart as ever still has very good pocket presence um despite all the sacks and stuff that you know his offensive line kind of leaving him dry. but um this is I, I feel like this is kind of a game where the, the the Vikings style of defense zone heavy um tries to to bend but no break tries to generate turnovers um wants teams to just run it back and take the take the cheese and take the easy plays um and wants to play down in the in the run game so that they can have that numbers advantage. Um one to generate turnovers, but also to take things away in the passing game. I feel like that matches up very well with this Colts offense. So I
0: feel pretty confident that um you know the Vikings
1: have the advantage here on, on defense.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, we've talked about how the Vikings defense isn't great. Colts offense 32nd in the league in DVOA, 32nd in the league, I believe, in EPA per play. They're right down there with the Texans if they're not 32nd or 31st. So it really is a struggling unit, and hopefully we can take advantage of that. Um, and on the flip side of the ball, I, I think the, offense, the Vikings offense will be able to score points. We typically put up about 20-something points per game, and I, I think that'll continue. And if that's the case, I, I think we'll be able to hold the Colts into the teens on, on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, so the Colts have had, we, we've alluded to it. They've had a solid defense so far this year. Um, despite probably their best player, Shaq Leonard being out for the majority of the year, I think he only played in three games. He was injured to start and then he got re-injured and is now out for the rest of the season. Um, so Gus Bradley's their defensive coordinator. Traditionally, Gus Bradley has stuck very strongly to his cover three Seattle scheme, you know, that, that he learned in Seattle and, and is stuck and really is not adapted at all. Uh, I forgot to look up their coverage statistics, so I can't tell you whether or not that's the, that's the case this year, but I expect it to stay that way. Um, from personnel, you know, they've got Stefan Gilmore in the cornerback room. Uh, he's played pretty well, I would say, especially considering his age. You know, we, we figured maybe he had dropped off a little bit, but he's been a starting quality player. For them. Uh, Kenny Moore is a great slot corner. One of the best slot corners in the league. He was DNP, uh, each of the two days of practice so far this week. We're recording this on Wednesday. So, and he was out for the game last week. It looks like it's pretty likely that he's not going to play At least my reading of the tea leaves says I don't expect him to play. Um, which leaves, I, I don't think they have a great secondary outside of that. They, Julian Blackman played really well his first years as safety on the defensive line. I, I do think they have some talent there. Uh, Grover Stewart is one of the most underrated defensive tackles in the league, in my opinion. I, I first he kind of first came on my radar actually the last Vikings Colts game in twenty twenty. Uh, which was, I believe, Justin Jefferson's second career game. It was, it was kind of the last game before we knew what we had in Justin Jefferson, right? But Grover Stewart just kind of dominated Garrett Bradbury the entire game in that game. And I was like, who's number 90? I've never heard of him before. Turned out it was Grover Stewart. I knew they had DeForest Buckner, who I I don't know what his status for this game is either. I, I think he's healthy and ready to play. So they've got DeForest Buckner in addition to him. They also have two former Vikings uh, in Yannick Ngakwe, who's a starter for them and Afadio Fadi who I, who I think is just a backup, but I, I noticed that he was on their roster. Yannick Ngakwe, obviously we know is a great speed rusher, not a great run defender, not great at really other forms of rushing the passer, but he does have that one elite trick in his bag and he uses it pretty effectively. So he can get you once or twice. They also have Quiddy pay who I liked a lot in uh, the, the 2021 draft and he, you know, has missed a couple games this year, but he also has five sacks in the eight games that he's played. So he's come along a little bit as a pass rusher. So, so their front four, I think, is pretty good. I think they might be able to get pressure with four, especially if Christian Derisaw is still out. Um, hopefully he's able to get back and play in this game and it'll definitely shore up our protection a little bit. Uh, any thoughts on the Colts defense from you, Nick?
1: I honestly don't have that much to add. I mean, I think you covered it. I think this is a really talented squad. I think if you look up their their DVOA or their EPA per play, it doesn't suggest they're then like an elite squad. But mm-hmm. I feel like. Vaughn Gilmore is really good I think Isaiah Rogers has had like a good kind of a bit of a breakout season a little bit in the time he's played um you know they have a that great front four you know DeForest Buckner that was the guy i, I when I think of DeForest buckner I think of him doing that hump move to I think it was Dakota Dozier
0: yeah <laughs> it was probably. just like,
1: tossed him out of the ring so um Buckner is is in my mind one of the better um one of the best um you know kind of an all-pro caliber Interior defensive lineman, so that um, with Grover Stewart, I think uh, it's it's a really talented line, and you know unique and he knows. Um, you know, Vikings fans are familiar with him. That cross shot that he has, um, he's able to get get home to the quarterback, and he kind of knows how to set himself up for the pass rush, even though. He doesn't really care about run defense. But, you know, when you're a pass rusher, then <laughs> you get paid for sacks, really. So I don't blame him so much. So, I mean, it's a really talented defense. Um, kind of a more zone-heavy lid. They like to play a little more too-high stuff, um, which is... It's been a while since the Vikings have seen that because I feel like so many of their teams have been, you know, it's the Patriots, the Lions, mm-hmm. um, Eagles, these sort of man-heavy defense... Well, Eagles aren't man-heavy, but the way they played the Vikings, it kind of played out that way a little bit. Um, you know, people playing a lot of, like, aggressive man coverage... Um, and doubling Justin Jefferson. So maybe this is a game where we see um, Jefferson versus zone, which he's probably just a if, – if, if, if I if – I, if I, I mean, Jefferson will beat whatever you throw at him, but if I had to pick um, one of those, I, 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 he's probably better at finding soft spots in zone, which is – I mean, it's just a little bit easier to do than separate from guys who are trying to attach attached to your hip. So um, it's a talented – it's a talented unit, I feel like um, – Vikings will have their, uh, it'll be a good test, I think, for the offense, you know, can Kirk Cousins keep that level of play up that he did last year, and can Galvin Cook bounce back, run blocking bounce back, Um, will be a good test, I think, for us, you know, some of the offensive linemen they're getting back, you know, hopefully Garrett Bradbury helps a little bit, um, and he can get healthy, Um, and Ed Ingram doesn't get completely demolished the way that right guards of years past have been by DeForest Buckner, but um, I, I feel like I'm a lot more confident in the Vikings' ability to put up points on this Colts defense because teams have, and the the Colts the Colts offense to put up points on the Vikings defense, which is surprising coming off this last game, um, where the Vikings you know, gave up everything. But I, I feel like just the, the matchups are a little bit more advantageous to the Vikings, and it helps that it's at home. Um, the, the Vegas, for what it's worth, has has the Vikings favored to bounce back in this one. They're favored by four points. It's in Minnesota, so they do think the Vikings are a better team even on a neutral field. So. Um, that's good to see, and I, f- I feel like that's right. If anything, I would probably, not a betting person, but if I were, I'd put even more money on the Vikings. I feel like the line should probably be even more heavily favored towards the Vikings. Because I feel like this is just, um, Vikings are more talented, and I feel like this is just a favorable matchup for the Vikings, given the two philosophies and styles of, of team.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with you there. I think the Vikings should be favored. I I think the Vikings should probably be favored a little bit more heavily than they are. Um, And I I think they really should win this game and wrap up the division, right? Obviously, if the Vikings win this week, they will have clinched the division because the Lions can't get to 11 wins. They can only get to 10 wins. So if, if we hit 11, we clinch the division, we're guaranteed a playoff spot. And actually we're guaranteed at least the third seed because the Bucks are leading the NFC South and they currently have seven losses too. So um, really, you know, it, it's important for the Vikings to win at least one game down the stretch and we've got four to do it. So I, I, I'm hoping it comes Saturday against the Colts. It'll be uh, the first game we see this week. I don't know if there's a Thursday night game, but it'll, it'll be, you know, an early game. It'll be nationally broadcast. Everybody should be able to see it. Um, so that'll be nice. And, with that, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Um, I'm Matt Fries. You can find me at Fry's Football. He's Nick Olson. You can find him at Nick Olson NFL. Our co host Greg is at You've Been Greg'd. Um, We are at Kindred Skulls on Twitter. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also available on YouTube if you search for Kindred Skulls. Uh, leave us those five star rating reviews on your favorite podcast platform. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, and Skull Vikings. Oh,
1: oh, oh baby. The first from corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first from corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first from corner wouldn't do us any harm. And we'll all cheer on behind. And we'll score the old Vikings along. We'll score